Hey, welcome to Night School. And this episode's going to be another Black Sabbath episode. Black Sabbath tends to come up in different ways on this show over the years. I would say Black Sabbath is a part of my philosophy. And not in the sense, uh, not in some sonic sense, not like down-tuned riffs are my philosophy, dude. Slow, down-tuned riffs are just, that's my philosophy. Sweet Leaf is my philosophy. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But, you know, I've talked at length about the lyric, the single lyric, destruction of the empty spaces is my one and only crime. And that, of course, fits in with this, fits in with ideas like Buddhism, Stoicism, Pyrrhonism, all those many philosophies that emphasize neutrality. And how, you know, a violation of the inherent emptiness, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, whether it's beautiful or ugly or something else, something else, doesn't really matter. It's always a crime. Anytime you disrupt the natural balance that is emptiness, that is neutrality, that is nothing. You know, the second you put a dot on a piece of paper, on a blank piece of paper, you disrupt the natural balance. And you, get, you have to. Being a human is itself a testament to that. By being born, you yourself destroyed an empty space. You are filling a space that previously had been simply empty. And in doing that, you will continue to destroy other empty spaces because that is what you do. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. You can do a lot of good with that. But you have to accept that anytime you say anything, anytime you do anything, anytime you take any action at all, you are destroying an empty space. You are offsetting some kind of natural balance. And then you come to find out that inaction does it too. Inaction destroys an empty space too, as long as you are alive. And this isn't a nihilistic thought. This isn't some call to suicide, because that's destroying, it's an even bigger act of destruction. To waste your life, to kill yourself, that is an even greater and far worse act of destruction than the other empty space destruction you will come to do as a human being. So basically you can't win. Yet, of course, you do wonderful things by destroying empty spaces. You know, and you should always strive for those, but it also keeps you in check. It's easy come, easy go. You should remember that the good things come and go just as easily as the bad things. And even something good can be destructive. Uh, So, you know, that idea itself, just that one small lyric from the Sabbath Bloody Sabbath album, just that one little lyric can be taken into all these different contexts. And it's not like Buddhism owns that idea, you know, of embracing the inherent emptiness and gauging your actions, gauging your conduct in relation to that, the balance of that emptiness, which seems weird because you think of something balancing You think of the visual of that, and emptiness doesn't really come to mind. But that's what makes emptiness so balanced. It's total. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's nothing, no particular philosophy, 
no particular belief system owns that idea. And that's why you find it in different places. The idea of aiming for some kind of neutrality, aiming for some kind of emptiness. I mean, when people say, have an open mind, that's what that's referring to. Having an open mind means having an empty mind. Because when you have an empty mind, you're willing to take anything in, even though that destroys the emptiness. But that's how you learn things, because learning things destroys an empty place in your brain. Like when you learn a piece of knowledge, it doesn't always replace an existing piece of knowledge. It doesn't necessarily prove an existing piece of knowledge you have wrong. It could be something totally new. And if it's totally new to you, if a piece of knowledge is totally new to you, it destroys an empty space that was in your brain. And we love learning. I love learning. That doesn't mean it isn't destroying something. And that doesn't mean there isn't something virtuous about not knowing things, about having that empty space. But you will inevitably destroy empty spaces. And the catch is that you often don't know that that empty space is destroyed until you've already destroyed it. Because it's hard to notice emptiness. It's hard to notice when something isn't there, especially if you don't know what that is. It's the unknown, and it's hard to recognize the unknown. Because even knowing that something exists, even if you don't know exactly what that is, knowing that something is possible, you know, that itself is, uh, it's not really acknowledging emptiness. It's acknowledging the something that could replace that emptiness. So it's very difficult to acknowledge total emptiness or even an, even just one specific instance of emptiness until it's already been destroyed. wasn't even planning on getting into that lyric again, but I do think of it often. I would say it might be my favorite lyric, not that I need to get all superlative and be like, the best lyric, that's the best lyric I've ever heard. You know, I don't even need to make it about that. But when you just think about a lyric that I think of and have thought of since I was a teenager, probably more than any other, that is it. And I, I feel that way too about many Black Sabbath lyrics. You know, on Sabotage, for whatever reason... Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and Sabotage, I think, have some of my all-time favorite lyrics. But yeah, like that's so that's kind of what I mean. Black Sabbath is just a philosophy, musically, you know, lyrically, just their existence at all. And they're a band that many people like. They're one of those universal bands that I feel like many people who otherwise wouldn't connect musically can connect through Black Sabbath one way or another. And people all have their own take on them. You know, you have people who are like, they're the first metal band. They're the first metal band. Whereas there's plenty of people who just see them as a classic rock band. There's many people who just think of Black Sabbath as heavy, you know, foreboding rock and roll. Heavy and foreboding rock and roll. Oh, you're talking about that heavy and foreboding rock and roll band? You know, but there's many people who, to them, it's not really any different than Led Zeppelin. And that's funny, you know, in the same way that people, in the same way that baby boomers would say to each other, Beatles or Stones? You into Beatles or Stones? 
you know, there was this little game that baby boomers would play. It was just a conversation starter where they'd say, are you more of a Beatles guy or a Stones guy? And of course, many people are fans of both, but it was kind of a fun little, kind of a game, kind of almost, you know, it's team, taking a team, committing to a side. And, you know, I've heard from my parents and people that at parties, someone would just come up to you as a conversation starter and say, Beatles or Stones? Beatles or Stones? And you'd say Beatles or say Stones. I know that my mom was more into the Stones, and she said one of her friends was more into the Beatles, and they would have friendly little, a little friendly exchange about that, friendly arguments. And you sometimes hear that with Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, which I understand, but it doesn't make sense to me as a Sabbath fan. And I mean, it, may, it probably makes about as much sense as the Beatles and Rolling Stones, when you consider that what they were doing, while, while I can understand why people connect them, given when they came to exist, and what they sounded like, they, they really aren't particularly similar. They destroyed different empty spaces, is how I see it. And I guess in both of those cases, I do have a clear preference, where if someone were to ask me, I would say Rolling Stones. Not that I'm some big Rolling Stones fan, but the Rolling Stones are a band that I occasionally listen to, whereas I never go for the Beatles, not because I think the Beatles suck. Are the Beatles the most popular band of all time? Too bad they suck. Too bad the Beatles suck. You know, it's not like I actually believe the Beatles suck. It's amazing that the most famous band ever sucks. <laughs> I love it when people say that, though. You know, they suck. Oh, the Beatles, turns out they suck. Um, but, uh, you know, I do have a preference. I prefer the Rolling Stones. I prefer Black Sabbath. But I see Sabbath and Zeppelin as, as this false dichotomy. I see it as a false dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy. That's what I say. When someone asks me all zero times that I've been asked in my life whether I prefer Sabbath or Zeppelin, I say... Get out of here with that false dichotomy. No, but it is to me. To me, I just don't see it. I understand what people are thinking. You know, they're, they're bands that came out at a certain time. There's a certain heaviness to them. There's a bluesy heaviness. You know, they were both obviously groundbreaking in their own ways. And you'll hear songs like, you know, I don't know that much about Led Zeppelin either. I've never gone through a phase. I've never gravitated toward them. I mean, there's songs like Dazed and Confused. It's obviously doomy in the way that Sabbath is doomy, although, you know, to a different end. I guess one of the big differences, though, between them is no matter what you consider Black Sabbath, like no matter how you try to categorize them, which it seems like it's just in vain, trying to categorize them as the first heavy metal band, proto-metal. Oh, you you mean that proto proto-metal band? or whether you just consider them a hard rock band whatever you consider black sabbath the word that i the word that comes to mind for me when i think of sabbath is unlikely black sabbath was and is an unlikely band whereas led zeppelin seems likely well yeah it was a certain group of musicians that had a certain talent and did something that impressed people and I'm not, even though they've been accused of plagiarism in this, it's like they were obviously innovative in their own right. 
but they don't seem unlikely. When I've heard them, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense that this exists and this was popular and this influenced people and people who like rock and roll like this. Black Sabbath, on the other hand, even as a huge fan, they are unlikely. Their sound is unlikely. Their popularity is unlikely. Their evolution or and lack of evolution, too, at times is unlikely. Because I don't like rock and roll. I'm not a rock and roll guy. And yeah, you could go through my life and be like, look, you like this rock band. You liked this rock band. You like this rock band. Of course I like rock bands. Of course I've liked rock bands. There's Kiss albums I like. You know, there's, I just mentioned sometimes occasionally I will listen to the Rolling Stones. Of course there's rock and roll. How could I avoid liking some rock and roll? But I'm not somebody who's ever been excited about the idea of rock and roll. I've liked things that rock and roll has influenced. I've liked music that uses that format. But when it comes to just the straight idea of rock and roll, like I'm going to a rock show. Well, for me, it all comes back down to rock and roll. For me, the, the, it's all rock and roll to me. It's all rock and roll to me. You know, you're going to talk about this and, uh, and that. And for me, it all just comes back to I like rock and roll. I'm not one of those people, not because I hate rock and roll, but there is something that kind of pushes me away a little bit. There is something about the idea of like rock stars and just the spirit of rock and roll that's never done it for me. It's, it has to mutate and fracture in a weird way, which is really pretentious. And I could never have a conversation with somebody who just likes rock and roll without them hating me because I have to say stuff like that. But it's true. Like, and, and Black Sabbath to me is a mutant. You know, it's, they are an unlikely mutant. And people aren't wrong for saying the first metal band. We all know why that is. They're a heavy band. But I don't like the revisionism necessarily, you know, where people will say like, oh, Black Sabbath, the first doom metal band. Of course they are. Of course, that's the first time, you know, that we really heard, you know, a band with guitars play slow, doomy music like that, that I know of. But to call them doom metal is also disingenuous. To call the, But to call them rock and roll is too. It's just a mutant entity. And their lyrics are like un, unlike anything else as well. Those geezer butler lyrics to me turn me into a 14-year-old. They turn me into a, a 13 or 14-year-old. Take your pick, 13, 14. They turn me into a kid whose mind is getting blown. And the older I get, you know, I'm so old, you know. At, you know, I'll be 35 next month, and I know I'm very old. Although, let me just go on a little tangent there. I can't stand when when people who are like over 50, or even just over anybody who's older than you are, the second you talk about how like, oh, as I've gotten older, I, I've started to think this, and then they just feel the need to say, oh, well, wait till you're 60. Wait till you're 52. Oh, you, oh, you think you're old, 35-year-old? <laughs> you know, wait till you're 62, and then you'll be saying blah, blah, blah. And then somebody can always turn it around on the 62-year-old and say, wait till you're 95. Wait till you're 95 before you talk, you little 62-year-old. You know, you can always play that game. It's just that sort of competitive edge that always comes in for people. 
I mean, I mentioned it recently with the drinking or not drinking. You can always find someone who's like, oh, you drank a three-fifths, you, you, oh, you drank three-fifths of whiskey to yourself this weekend? Try four. Try five. Oh, you think you drank a lot because you drank three-fifths all by yourself? Well, try six. Oh, you oh you quit drinking? Oh, because you thought you had a drinking problem? Well, I have a drinking problem. You, you know, it's, we, we just do that about everything. Oh, you think you're old? It's like because you're under the age of 40, you're under the age of 50, somehow you haven't gotten older and changed and learned things, and you can't express that if you have. Oh, you're 35. You think you're old? Oh, you think that things have changed for you now? Wait until you're 99. You know, anyway, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Everyone knows what, I, what I'm talking about there. But it's true where... The older I get, you know, simple things make more sense. You know, I think I was always on a quest for something that was overcomplicated because I thought things had to be more complicated than they are in order for them to be interesting, in order for them to have some sort of substance to them. And I just came full circle and realized that, oh, yeah, simpler ideas actually make much more sense. But I had to hack my way through the jungle with a machete and I ended up doing a semicircle and came back to the most obvious path. But I also had to do that to get there. If I had stayed on the most obvious path the entire time, I would have been looking for something else. I would have been staring into the bushes. I would have been sticking my face into the bushes of that jungle looking for something. And I, so I had, inevitably, I had to hack my way through the bushes in order to come back to the main path and appreciate what that was and understand what it is in order to have some sort of epiphany that told me, oh, okay, you know, you're back there and it's not defeat. Just because you ended up back on that path, it's not some form of defeat. It's not some form of, you know, it's not like I lost. I didn't lose anything. I had to gain some knowledge as to why that was the right path all along and why that was the path that had been cleared to begin with. Kind of the same thing with lyrics. You know, because I've never been a lyric guy, even though I just went on and on about one little line in a Black Sabbath song. I've never been somebody who responded that much to lyrics as a music fan. I was always much more taken by riffs, by melodies, by simply the the tone of a voice rather than what the voice was saying. Now I like lyrics a lot more. They mean a lot more to me, and often simple lyrics. Not that the example I gave of uh, Destruction of the Empty Spaces, where you think about lyrics to like Hole in the Sky, things like that, you know, I don't think that those are necessarily simple. But I guess I just appreciate lyrics on a simple level at this point. And that's, you know, one of the things that makes Black Sabbath what they are is those are not obvious lyrics. Even though there's something intuitive, even though there's something timeless, there's something eternal about what they say. And I don't think it's any coincidence that certain lyrics of theirs, you know, pair up with these ancient philosophies, ancient systems of belief, and effortlessly. They pair up with those effortlessly, which is again unlikely. Because you think when a, when a band wants to express spiritual themes, spiritual themes, it's often overwrought. It's like, oh, religious overtones. 
Oh, the band is exploring religious themes. The band is exploring religious themes on this album. When I hear that, I go the other direction. Even though Sabbath does and did that, Sabbath did that. I mean, their name itself is an example of that. I don't feel that it... It seems effortless. It seems simple. It seems straightforward. It's intuitive. And I think that's why it worked so well with them. And again, the word I keep coming back to, you're going to hear it so many times in this episode, you're going to want to throw your dictionary out the window. Uh, Unlikely. You're going to never want to see or hear the word unlikely ever again. I'm going to say it so many times. But Black Sabbath was just too unlikely to categorize as anything else. And just to finish up the thought about like the Sabbath and Zeppelin idea. Are you more of a Sabbath guy or a Zeppelin guy? There's plenty of people who I'm sure love both of those bands. Uh, they're all over the place. They're people who like rock and roll. And even though I'm a metal guy and I just went on this rant about the fact that I'm not into just the idea of rock and roll. I don't like rock and roll as an idea. Even though I love things that it produced, and I do like rock and roll bands, I've never been sold on the rock and roll spirit. It's not me. But I do like that some people just see Black Sabbath as a rock and roll band. I like that they're amorphous enough that people who are fans, people who come to be doom metal fans in 2003 become Black Sabbath fans because they've retraced their steps back to them. And like they're like, oh, you know what? I didn't realize I liked Black Sabbath until I realized that doom metal bands have just been ripping them off or trying to emulate them for decades. You know, I like that somebody can retrace their steps back from these niche genres and find Black Sabbath on those terms. And I also like that somebody can just be a 14-year-old who goes to Target and buys a Led Zeppelin shirt and listens to Jimi Hendrix, but also loves Black Sabbath simply as a good rock and roll band. I like that they can just fit wherever you need them to fit. And that's kind of what I mean about a lot of people being able to find common ground over Black Sabbath. Because I've got friends who are not into that much heavy music. I've got, you know, I think about a, a good childhood friend of mine, and I used to go over to his house every Friday to drink, and we would just sit there and listen to Sabbath sometimes. And we would never sit there and listen to metal. We would never, he was really into like indie rock and like folk and things that I don't listen to, singer-songwriter stuff that I would never want to listen to. And we would never sit around and listen to that. We would never sit around and listen to like each of our niche interests in music, but he could just throw on Black Sabbath and I'm happy. And uh, that's that's interesting that they they fill that kind of role. Again, unlikely. I'll stop saying it, because I'll hate myself. I don't care if you hate me for repeating a word over and over again, but I can't leave this episode, the the room that is this episode, the cage that is this episode. I can't leave this cage hating myself. I just can't do it. Um, but but yeah, they, they do kind of just manage to be this amorphous entity. And... I'll just say it one more time. Something that's very unlikely about them, too, are the vocals. You know, Ozzy's vocals. Because you'll hear this thing, you'll hear people talk about, you'll hear like Guns N' Roses talk about, oh, yeah, yeah, we knew, uh, 
we knew Axel Rose was our guy because he could just scream. He he knew how to scream. You hear bands that have actually these very talented singers. Of course, Axel Rose has a scream. Of course, he does have this sort of scream that he does. It's not the same as you would hear in genres where it actually is just screaming. It's obviously a musical scream when Axel Rose does it. But you'll hear that coming from bands... I mean, I've even heard that about Led Zeppelin at some point. I, I heard somebody talk about Led Zeppelin at one point. It was like Robert Plant. The thing about him is he just got such a good scream. As if Robert Plant was actually up there doing just a completely atonal scream all the time. But you'll hear people say that about these talented singers. They'll be like, oh, he had such a good scream. We wanted him to front our rock and roll band. He had such a good scream, we just knew that that our rock and roll band needed him. You'll hear people say that when it's like not somebody, yeah, they had kind of a, they projected their voice out and it was not like any of the singing you had ever heard, but it wasn't a straight up scream. But the interesting thing about Sabbath is Ozzy is not a screamer, but he's also not much of a singer and he sounds very British. He's monotonous, but yet his voice is perfect. His voice was perfect for those early, the first six Sabbaths, you know. Haven't quite come around to Technical Ecstasy and Never Say Die. That's next on my list. I sh- I'm going to spend a day with those because I would like to. I would like to say that I'm a fan of those, but it just they just never caught me. And that's a funny thing, too. You know, Sabbath is philosophical seemingly to everybody because people will have these debates. You know, I mentioned in an episode not that long ago how this like young friend of a friend just out of nowhere, like sat down at our table at a bar and just immediately was like, first four Sabbath albums are the only albums that matter. First four Sabbath albums are the only albums that matter. And I was like, well, you know, could at least go with the first six and maybe you should sit down with Heaven and Hell. Maybe you should sit down with Dio era. You know, I know you're young and you're making a bold point that I would have agreed with years ago. But, uh, you know, don't limit yourself to the first four. Which is funny to me, the idea of limiting yourself to the first four. Because I think, I don't know, most of the people I know who prefer Ozzy era, which that is definitive Black Sabbath. If you're talking about Black Sabbath, what comes to mind is Ozzy era and nothing can change that. That is what defines Black Sabbath. That is the whole soul of Black Sabbath on display. Later stuff is still Black Sabbath, but when you're talking about like the substance, the actual pure core substance of what they are, of course we're talking about the first six albums or even the first four. If you're not ready for... I I don't know why you would make that distinction. I'm not entirely sure why you wouldn't include Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and Sabotage. I was a little slower to Sabotage for some reason. I don't know why that is now, because I can listen to it now. I mean, I kept Sabotage in my car for probably a year straight. Kept it in my car, just that was all I wanted to listen to in my car for a while. Symptom of the Universe, you know, that's just another uh, title of a song, but just... Those ideas speak to me. Um, but, you know, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath is interesting because, you know, I don't want to get all superlative and because and, I'm not into the idea of ranking things. I'm trying, even though I will inevitably rank things, 
in the same way that I will inevitably destroy empty spaces as a human being. It's difficult not to rank things. What I'll say is Sabbath Bloody Sabbath is easily the Sabbath album that I've listened to the most. In terms of just quantity of listens, frequency of listens, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath easily, I know I know that it's the album I've listened to the most. Do I think it's the best? If I had to actually sit there and decide what's the best Black Sabbath album, I don't think I would say that it's the best. But the fact that I gravitate toward it so often says something to me. And I wouldn't even be able to tell you what that is. It just sets a certain tone. Would I say it's the absolute, you know, peak of Black Sabbath? I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of see, if we're talking about Aussie era, I just see that as kind of a collective mass. And fortunately, you know, each of those albums has their own identity, which is pretty amazing considering that they weren't a band that tried to force themselves too far in certain directions. They didn't try to be more dynamic than they had to be while creating new and interesting music on each album. You know, for whatever reason, Iomi's little severed fingers did exactly what they needed to do to express themselves, but they didn't need to exceed that. He didn't need to pretend that his fingers were longer than they really were. Ozzy didn't need to try to take... I mean, he probably took singing lessons. I don't know. I don't know. But he didn't try to go beyond his comfort zone. I mean, I guess changes, which I used to not like. Like, I used to be one of those people, in the same way that I used to say I only liked Ozzy era, I also used to be one of those people who was like, yeah, I like everything they did with Ozzy except changes. (laughs) Except changes. And then, you know, I got some pushback from a couple friends over the years about that. And then one day I was just like, this song rules. (laughs) It's just like, changes rules. Uh, It was one day it clicked. And, uh, yeah, Ozzy, maybe, he, I don't know, did he try to go outside of his comfort zone on that? It's an uncomfortable song. Even though it clicked with me, I'll still say Changes is an uncomfortable song. But, uh, you know, and then later, you know, I, I reached a point where I just, one night I put on Heaven and Hell, and I was just like, this is my theme right now. By the time Die Young came on, I was just like, yeah, you know what, this is... I will put this right next to all of the other Black Sabbath albums and not say that as some sort of controversial statement because I'm sure there's 10 million people who would agree with me. I don't think it's controversial. There's plenty of people who will tell you they love you know the same Sabbath albums I love. And you know I don't know, you know I don't I don't put Mob Rules quite as high up as Heaven and Hell. I mean, you can listen to Sign of the Southern Cross, and and if that doesn't speak to you, I'm surprised you're a Sabbath fan, really, if that doesn't speak to you on some level. Um, But I I don't know. I don't need to be going through some, like, album-by-album Black Sabbath. I don't need to review every Black Sabbath album here. I mean, I, I love Dehumanizer, another, you know, The Return of Dio. I honestly haven't really spent enough time with... Tony Martin, is that his name? I haven't really spent enough time with that. That'll, I'll, I'll be, I want to spend time with it all. Uh, but the point is, is just that, you know, I, I was not accepting of the Dio era, you know, at a certain point in my life. I just thought, that's not Sabbath. That's not Sabbath. And then one day, listening to Heaven and Hell, I felt like I was in Heaven and Hell. 
I felt like I was in heaven and hell and I was listening to heaven and hell and it just, that one really clicked. And I, I would put it right in line with all of the other albums. I would rank it just as high, honestly. It's while it may not be definitive Black Sabbath, it might not be the sound. It might not be them in their essence in terms of just creating a great album that has some kind of emotional impact has some kind of it, it's not just oh look, these are good riffs this is a good rock and roll album this is a good heavy well it's heavy metal you know i think of heaven and hell as them actually playing 80s heavy metal more so but uh you know it's 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 not even about you know just it's competent oh this is so competent it's not even about competency competence is there is there a, a y at the end of that it's not even about that, though. It's it's much more about simply it's it, it communicates something, and it communicates something powerful. And I'm thankful that I I came around to Dio era because I mean Dio too. Let me just talk a little bit about Dio, who's no stranger to this show. You know, Dio represents something, and interestingly, a guy that I. I communicated a little bit with through these modern forms of communication. I wouldn't say we're friends. You know, there's obviously no personal, uh, there's nothing personal to it, but it's a guy who, he writes some books and he does a show. And I was surprised to find out he's a big Dio fan. I was surprised to find out he was into metal at all. But this guy, he's an older guy who's an ex-Marine and a lawyer who just, he writes some books and does a little show. Kind of a macho you know, macho philosophy, that sort of stuff. But I talked to him a little bit just about Dio and, and things because, you know, Dio represents something to people. And it's interesting when it's somebody who you think is kind of just more of a normal person. It's interesting when you find out that Dio or someone like that represents something to them beyond just being a musician who you like. That he seems to, I don't know, because I, I didn't grow up being into Dio. I knew who he was, but I didn't grow up. Like, as a teenager, I wasn't a Dio fan. You know, I've had to retrace some steps to get into some of this stuff. And, you know, I think part of part of my interest in Dio has been, you know, you know, falling in love with heaven and hell, finding out Dio was a, an excellent doo-wop artist. And he, I mean, he represents something that's important to this show in that, in the fact that Dio is maybe the only artist who was both a doo-wop singer and a heavy metal singer. Very few people were in a position to organically bridge that gap, because I'm sure you could find somebody. Somebody could find somebody who sang both doo-wop and heavy metal, but it's probably artificial. It probably sucks. Probably sucks. Uh, you know, because it's just you, because I mean, he did that in the late 50s, early 60s. You know, he started his first band in the late 50s. I don't know that I've heard his earliest stuff. But I've heard, you know, plenty of Ronnie and the Red Caps and Ronnie Dio and the Prophets. And he was not just a doo-wop. He wasn't just a competent. Again, that word, competent. He wasn't just a competent doo-wop singer. His songs are incredible. Some of those doo-wop songs, some of those Red Caps songs, some of those Prophets songs, they're actually some of my favorite doo-wop, honestly, because his voice is that good. And the fact that he was of the right age to do that at the time that it was relevant. Because I don't like doo-wop past its expiration date. 
Every once in a while, I like the novelty of a group, a retro group who still performs doo-wop or who performed doo-wop in the 70s or that kind of thing. Sometimes I like the novelty of it, but when it comes to actually doing it, you know, there's a clear expiration date. 1965 tends to be the last year that doo-wop is actually organic and good and not tainted by all of the toxic cultural forces that were building and brewing by the mid to late 1960s. So doo-wop does have an expiration date. And the fact that Ronnie Dio was doing it when it was at its peak. And he, of course, he's an East Coast Italian with a beautiful voice. Why wouldn't he have chosen doo-wop? And there's passion to it, you know, and the songs are well written. I don't know if he wrote the songs, but he performed them extremely well. But the fact that he was the perfect age to have been a 20-year-old doing doo-wop in 1962 and to have been just young enough to be able to do heavy metal without being ancient. You know, it's not like we're talking about Pat Boone's heavy metal album. You know, we're talking about Ronnie Dio being, I don't know, like, I guess he probably would have been in his late 30s on Heaven and Hell and then in his 40s for his solo albums through the 80s. And... You know, he's, so he's the perfect age to organically do both of those things. And I don't know if anybody else did. I don't know if anybody else did doo-wop and also did heavy metal. You know, I mean, and then, of course, hard rock in between. But, but just in terms of my own taste, my own interests, for someone to have done both doo-wop and heavy metal and to do it organically at the peak of both of those genres without it being a novelty there we go. That's unlikely. That's extremely unlikely. So Ronnie Dio has come to represent something special to this show, you know, every night's a school night, the radio show, because nobody else really has bridged that gap that I know of. And if somebody can find somebody, let me know, but I'm just unaware of anybody, you know, because you'll find certain people who became rock artists, country artists who got their start doing doo-wop because that was the path to success if you were trying to be a singer in the late 50s, early 60s. So you'll find a lot of country artists, a lot of rock artists who were in doo-wop groups, other genres too. I mean, Simon and Garfunkel both did kind of teener, doo-wop-tinged pop. You'll find people like that. Scott Walker, although, I mean, he's he's kind of another unlikely entity. And I don't, I don't feel that he strayed that much, even though he kind of went into more of an overtly dark area. And I'm, I'm not a huge Scott Walker fan. I like it. He did that song as Scott Angle that I played on every night's a school night. That's more of a, a teener sort of doo-wop tinge song. But Scott Walker is cool, in my opinion. I'm just, I'm not somebody who, who sits around in a dark room listening to Scott Walker. But you'll find people like that who got their start doing that sort of every night to school night music. But doo-wop, or uh, do <laughs> Dio-wop, <laughs> Dio-wop, wop-dio. Uh, no, uh, Dio, though, he's the only person I'm aware of to have actually bridged that gap between authentic original doo-wop in the early 60s and authentic and original heavy metal in the 1980s. So again, just it's amazing that he existed at all and that he could do that in a way that was relevant 20 years apart.
Because 20 years, that's massive, especially back then. I don't know about now. I've talked about how just the cultural cycle, the Ouroboros, it's changed. And I don't know that... I don't know that generations are as different as they were. Things might change quicker, but in changing quicker, I don't know that they change enough. There's a riddle for you. There's a riddle. That was a Black Sabbath lyric. No, I don't know. I feel like our system got very messed up. I feel like our the system... The, the forces that changed culture and caused generational shifts have gone haywire. So 20 years, when you think about between the early 60s and the early 80s, just how much happened musically alone. You could talk about other cultural forces, but just what happened musically during that time and the fact that this one guy could do both things without being a hack. And I like Ronnie Dio, too, just as a person. If you've seen interviews with him, uh, what people would call a straight shooter. Obviously very sharp, a lot of integrity, a very clear mind, and I respect that. I respect that about him. He seemed to have a very clear idea of what he was doing, and he talks very candidly. There's a good interview that I saw of him where he talks very candidly about the bullshit politics that were going on when he, you know, was with Black Sabbath and just, you know, just some of the ways that not even and not even denigrating his bandmates or anything like that, but just kind of. He's addressed some of that stuff in a way that tells me he was a very sharp guy and a professional. So I, I do think Dio represents something. Even more than just Dio the artist, I think just as, as you know, I don't know, he ties some things together that I think otherwise wouldn't have been tied. And he fits, He's he is just as unlikely as Black Sabbath is unlikely. And I don't, I don't expect everyone to, you know, be a Dio fanatic. And I wouldn't say I'm a fanatic. Although I, I have been listening to his albums, the 80s albums, and up through uh, uh, Lock Up the Wolves. You know, I, I, last few days I've been listening to those up through that. So uh, I am a fan. But I'm a fan of the whole spectrum of his work, and maybe someday I'll... There's There was a Rainbow album I liked. I'd have to revisit it. It's been probably 15 years since I've heard it. Uh, so, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll talk about Rainbow next time. <laughs> maybe I'll just review music. It'll be the best show ever. There's nothing better than podcasts where someone just reviews music. There's nothing better than podcasts where someone just talks about music. They talk about every Black Sabbath album. Now, the only reason I'm making an exception here is because Black Sabbath, to me, is somehow more than just a band. There is somehow a philosophy built into them or something. They somehow opened a door to something else that wasn't just the music they were playing, that wasn't just the lyrics they were singing, that was more than just the sum of their parts even. And some people just intuitively get that, and they get it on their own terms. And I think that's what stands out to me about them, is that people manage to 
approach Black Sabbath on their own terms in many different ways. And it seems that people were able to do that from the start. It seems that people were able to do that from the very beginning. People who became Black Sabbath fans when they were new. When they were a new band, people seemed to have understood that because there was nothing before that. There was really no precedent as far as I can tell. Obviously, there was the blues. But when I listen to Sabbath, I don't think, like, oh man, these are some great blues riffs. I just love the blues. Because just like rock and roll, I don't like the blues. Even though I like raw music, I like country music. I like raw music of different kinds. I don't like the blues. And it's not that I think the blues sucks. Obviously, it speaks to people. Obviously, there's something impressive about the blues. I like that the blues, you know, had a, you know, especially a certain era of the blues, you know, was very raw and appealed to people for that reason. People who otherwise don't necessarily gravitate toward rawness recognize the value of that rawness when it comes to the blues. But myself, like, you'll never catch me listening to a blues album. You'll never catch me hearing the blues. You'll never catch me singing the blues, neither. But no, the blues is not my thing. If you ever hear the blues coming from my bedroom, you'll open the door and find my dead body, and you'll know that somebody killed me and put on a blues record. Because I will never be sitting around listening to the blues. Until next week. Until the next Every Night to School night. Where the entire episode's going to be an hour and a half and nothing but blues. Think about how obnoxious I would be if I became a sudden blues fan. A sudden blues fan. Think about how un- intolerable. Think about how, how just insufferable that would be. I'm going to play you a bunch of blues... And of course, I'm not talking shit about people who care about the blues, but it's just just something about it sonically. It has nothing to do with anything else about it. It's just simply the sonics of it. And blues rock doesn't do it for me. So the idea that Sabbath is somehow bluesy, of course I hear it. Of course I know what they're talking about. But it kind of gets into this the, the Zeppelin Sabbath. Are you more of a Zeppelin or are you more of a Sabbath? It kind of gets into that discussion again where... When I hear Led Zeppelin, which is never of my own doing, like I never sit around and think, hey, I just I want to listen to a Led Zeppelin song today. It goes hand in hand with the blues, and I guess it kind of is the blues, because, you know, when I hear them, I'm like, oh yeah, I hear that this is a... When you hear them play the blues, like when you hear them do their bluesy thing, it's like, you know what they're doing, you know what they're influenced by. Whereas Sabbath is a mutant. Sabbath is much more of a mutant, where, yeah, you can hear that there's a blues influence. You can tell that what they're doing has, you know, some sort of root in the blues. But it goes beyond that. And maybe not beyond. Maybe it doesn't even go as far as that. Maybe it's actually far more limited. But it's nonetheless unlikely Because something doesn't have to exceed a standard. Something doesn't have to go too far to be unlikely. Something can actually move a centimeter, and that itself is unlikely. That itself is special. Something doesn't have to strive for some great thing 
beyond our current standards. You know, something doesn't have to, you know, try to run a marathon. Something can just move a centimeter away from that emptiness. And that itself can be a far greater accomplishment in many ways. And that's sort of how I think about Sabbath is they just sort of, they moved just a tiny bit. They, they knocked the balance off just a tiny bit. And that created so much. Because, yeah, you can look at bands like the Beatles and be like, yeah, they influenced everybody. Or Elvis, for that matter. Who influenced the Beatles? Because you'll you'll hear uh, Paul McCartney talk, and it's like, I decided to start making music when I heard Elvis. And you would never think that, you know, you wouldn't, you don't think of, oh, the Beatles? You mean that Elvis cover band? You know, you don't think of Elvis when you hear the Beatles, you know, ninety nine percent of the time. But uh, you know, it's the same thing for bands that the Beatles influenced, where. Most of the bands that the Beatles influence, you don't listen to them and go, oh, I can tell they were listening to the Beatles. I mean, maybe people who are more knowledgeable about music can say that. But very rarely, you know, considering how many bands were influenced by the Beatles, you don't usually hear that much Beatles in them. However, with Sabbath, bands that were influenced by Sabbath, you often hear a lot of Sabbath in them. And the fact that Black Sabbath ended up being one of the most influential bands of all time. Impressive. It's impressive that that band of all bands ended up being one of the most influential of all time. And it's instantly identifiable when you hear a band and you know they were influenced by them, when you know they were fans of them. Not necessarily because they're trying to mimic them, but there was something so definitive, there was something so uniquely Black Sabbath about what they were doing that you can recognize it immediately in bands that were fans of them. And of course, there's a lot of bands that were influenced by Sabbath who don't really sound like them. Of course there are. And you think about heavy metal taking its cues from Black Sabbath, which it did. But, you know, that went in a much more trebly direction. A lot more high-pitched, a lot faster. So it's not that everything that was influenced by Sabbath sounds like Black Sabbath. But it's interesting how many things that are good in their own right, or even great, want it to be known that they were Black Sabbath fans in the way they write their music. You know, that's an interesting thing about it. Is It's not that these are plagiarists. It's not that these bands are uncreative. But there are many bands who sound like Sabbath, and they want you to know that they are influenced by Sabbath. They're not trying to hide it, but they're also not trying to steal from them either. It's not just that Black Sabbath influenced them to pick up their instruments like Elvis did for the Beatles, or the Beatles did for a million other people. It's that people who were influenced by Sabbath, it's almost like they're part of a... uh, I don't know, it's almost like they're part of a similar whole, or the same whole. And they they show that off almost like they're holding up a, a standard. They're like standard bearers of a, not just a sound, but something else. And it's not a push to innovate. It's not a push to outshine anybody on a technical level. 
It seems to have just had some sort of profound impact on people. And I would include myself in that. As much as I try to, you know, separate myself and carve out my own identity in life, you know, Sabbath is one of those things that, you know, when I just, when I see it just like a normal guy in an ugly black Sabbath t-shirt, you know, walking down the street, I feel a little bit better. You know, when I see somebody just wearing some generic, like new design Black Sabbath, I mean, there's a, a junk store in a town about a half hour away. It's a town that has a lot of antique stores and junk stores. And I was going around digging through this upper area that had a bunch of old books and comic books. And there's a back corner of the store. And they have a bunch of military surplus gear hidden behind everything. It feels like you're not even supposed to be there. And with all of the military surplus gear, I found this stack of the same Black Sabbath shirt. And it was not vintage. Even though everything else in this store was vintage and antique and junk, they had this stack of Black Sabbath shirts with all of this military surplus gear. And it was just some bootleg design. It was like a modern font with some bad picture of them. You know, it wasn't pixelated or anything, but it just, you could tell that the band did not produce these shirts themselves. And somehow this junk store got like five of the same shirt. But even that excited me. Even that felt special in some way. Going to the back corner with all this military surplus supplies and gear and just finding five ugly modern Black Sabbath bootleg shirts. I didn't buy one. I should have. But I didn't buy one, but I was just like, hey, this fits. (laughs) Somehow even that fits in, in that environment. Uh, So, you you know, there's something to that where, where, I don't know, there's, there's just a certain common ground. And I'm surprised when someone isn't a fan, to be honest. Not that I think everybody should be, but I am surprised when someone isn't a fan. Because it's always worthwhile to me to celebrate something that's that unlikely. This land is mine God gave this land to me this brave this golden land to me and when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children Hey.